Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And on today's episode, I have David Thurman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Mortarstone. He started that in 2012 with the vision to build a company that allows data and management workflows to improve the growth and discipleship process within the church. I love that because that's what we're all about. We're about discipling people. And so his ministry is like a ministry. It's yes, it, it is a it is a company. It is serving churches, but it's a ministry-minded company. So, David, thank you so much for taking the time to come share what you guys do at Motorstone, how you help churches. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you being here today. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor. You know, I, um, I I always get a little reticent or nervous to do these types of things, and you've made me feel very comfortable. And so, I'm excited to visit with you today and share hopefully some insights that uh, some of our church partners can take away with. Oh, I'm sure you will. So let's start with you personally. What got you started? First of all, I know there's a story to Mortarstone, how you got here, how you started the company, why you started the company, but talk about how you connected to the this, this whole ministry of stewardship and generosity. What was the beginning of that? And then what led that into starting Mortarstone? Yeah. You know, like many of us, I, I was technically a, a Christian very early on, probably didn't always live that way. But really, that that at some level or at some point in my life, money really had a, a negative impact on me, and, and that really kind of refocused who I was in Christ. And so it was kind of through that journey, from a career standpoint, I was in in finance and in, in banking, and so it was through that journey that did one of my pastors um, at my church, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, would you kind of help out in our stewardship ministry?" And I'm like, "What does that even mean?" And so that became a, a a journey of um becoming a crown money map coach kind of really helping people think through money through a biblical lens really not placing their identity in money and that's one of the shortcomings that i had as kind of the pursuit of it but yeah that was my journey and then um that furthered into me being a layperson at a, at at our church here in Reno Nevada where i helped with a capital campaign and then started to get immersed in some reporting and then really i had a calling on my life by way of um, bob buford's uh, halftime so you know i was fortunate enough to be able to kind of pivot from a career that i had for many years that you know was at some level not really uh, fulfilling so i had the opportunity to kind of look at some other opportunities uh, ways to to kind of use my my skill set to advance the kingdom and and mortarstone is really the um the output of that yeah i know i'm familiar with bob buford's uh, from success to significance i love that god used that in your life to pivot you to this so talk about at least spend a few minutes providing an overview of who mortarstone is what do you guys do yeah so like you said about 12 13 years ago we started the company um really our heart was to see churches managed by fact and not intuition. In mm. other words, how do we really start to drive our strategy 
you know, the back office pieces of it. How do we start to drive our strategy with data? How could we start to say, hey, why are we not able to assimilate first-time givers to becoming second-time givers? Or why do we have the back door wide open? Mm. That's really some of the premise behind Mortarstone is to say, hey, we need to be able to surface a cohesive set of dashboards that churches can look at and then start to manage to. And so for about eight, nine years, that was fine. Uh, but then we really ran into a problem, whereas the churches kept tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I see the data, what do I do with it? And, mm. and so when you think about this, Leo, there's two pieces of our software. It's really managing people and then looking at the dollars. And so the dollar piece is really one of the felt needs that the church kept asking us about is how do we grow giving? How do we grow giving? And so that was really where we said, hey, we're there's probably some things that we can do to really accelerate generosity. And so about three years ago, we kind of went from not only a software company, but also a coaching company to say, hey, this is where we think we can add value with this data to grow generosity. And so that becomes a function of really how do we start to create you know, ministries to those who have managed well, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, stewarded well, but then how do they start to deploy those resources for the kingdom? And that is really our big impact that we think we're starting to have and starting to see with our church partners is how do we start to move the needle around the generosity piece? So the short answer is we are a software company. I would say we're more generosity software than analytics software. And mm-hmm. then I would say there's a big piece of us who really can help you with strategy to engage that data to grow generosity. Yeah, I love that. You know, data is important. We here at CSN focus on it quite a bit because we're trying to help churches understand what's really happening with their people. So data is very important to help point the church at least into a direction to make some, hopefully some good assumptions and some plans and then eventually strategy on how do we address this? If people are giving, not giving, uh, are we really stewarding the responsibility we have to disciple people at the best level that we can. And data can really help that. So I love that that you've started Motorstone for that reason. And I remember, you know, we connected many, many years ago. You've been connected with CSN for many years. And I know that the heart behind it was always to help stewardship pastors and church leaders understand how to maximize this information, that the data actually tells the story. But I know that you have a passion to, again, grow generosity, something you talked about. Talk about the passion and the heart of your ministry. I think that'll help people really understand where you're coming from. When we think about pastors, church leadership, what do they need to know about stewardship ministry, helping people get on a budget, get out of debt? That's all really, really, really important. Um, but you know, where I where I really start to get passionate or heartfelt is around kind of the two bookends of of, of a stewardship and generosity ministry. I would say the left end is hey, how do we get people on a budget? How do we start to get them to prioritize God in that budget and start to get um, healthy financially, get out of debt, so to speak? Um, That's one end of the ministry. The other half of that is how do we really help people live generously, assuming they've stewarded well, right? And so that really becomes the heart where I sit, where I really have the big draw or passion for me, because the draw for money or the love for money is what really what caused me so many headaches in my life. And if I can help people avoid some of those pitfalls by having the church disciple in this area, you know, not necessarily about the budgeting pieces of it, but those who 
have demonstrated the ability to steward and manage well. How do we take the spotlight off of growing a person's you know balance sheet? And how do we start to like really put the emphasis on deploying that more in the image of God? And so that's really where my passion is, is there's people in the church who probably have the label generous and by no means they're not generous. And so mm-hmm. how do we start to come alongside those guys and really start to understand the biblical pieces of what the Bible says about money. How do you enjoy your money? And there's clear scripture for that. And so that's really the thing that drives me is is my passion to come alongside church leaders who can then disciple people like me, lay leader. You know, that's one thing, Leo, that I've never had the benefit of. I've never been on staff at a church. And so mm-hmm. I've always been that kind of high capacity lay person in the church who was leading small groups, um, volunteering to, you know, set up a, a portable campus, you know, always been that high involved um, lay person, but I've never had the benefit of being on staff. And so my heart, my desire, my passion is really to come alongside church leadership, church pastors, and to really kind of speak into their lives as it relates to how people like me in their in their seats really need to have a focused ministry to, to really kind of move the ball in this area. Yeah. I, I just love what you just said, David, because there are people in every church that are like you. You've built a successful life, so to speak, have amassed a certain amount of wealth. And then you recognize that money isn't always, it's, you know, it can be a very dangerous thing, right? It can lead us in the wrong way. And of course, thankfully, God brought that into focus. You began to see stewardship and how to manage that well. And then you're in a church. And if there's someone there that could guide and and help you to develop and to continue to to grow, then you maximize your ability to have an impact. And so I, I hear your heart. You you want to do the same thing. You want to help churches see someone like you in a church and say, okay, how do we come alongside that person and help them maximize everything God wants them to do? So I love that. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that because that's our heart as well. We we do recognize that there are different people at different stages. And, and sometimes people need budget help. Sometimes they need to get out of debt. But if we're doing a good job consistently, some of those people will graduate and continue to grow and grow wealth. And eventually we'll have the resources that if they're not guided and taught and trained and discipled, could actually wreck them. You know, if they're not taught God's perspective, it could be a, a bad thing. So I just love what you just shared about that, because pastors need to understand that that's a reality of many of the people in their churches. The other thing is that stewardship, generosity, and giving all have distinct definitions. Uh, yet oftentimes they are bucketed as such uh, that they lose their meaning, right? We kind of interchangeably use them. And and at least least in a church circle, it seems like they're all kind of the same thing. And now at CSN, we teach all three are distinct topic and strategies. So tell me how best you could support churches in this area. Yeah, well, for starters, I think our software does a fantastic job of highlighting uh, the giving composition within the church. Okay. Um, and I would I would submit to you, you know, some of our audience, some of the people listening might not have access to household level giving, but let me just give you kind of a cool fact here or a sad fact, however you want to look at it. 50% of the givers in your church will typically spend more on their annual phone bill than they do with the annual giving to their church. Wow. So think about that just for a second. $565 or so tends to be about the average giving to the church by about 50% of the people or so. Keep in mind, you have another large swath in the church 
that's not even giving. So they're not even on our radar. So we're just talking about those that give. That's kind of the threshold at where at, at where we say, yeah, you know, 50% of those probably are giving close to a thousand, maybe even more dollars to Verizon or AT&T or their cable company. Yet, they're not really giving that much to the church. They're surely not tithing. And so that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And we want to put the spotlight on that really, 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 really bright. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's kind of the first part is understanding the composition of your giving. That's something that we can do really well. We also have a very cool scoring solution. And so when you think about scoring or, or a velocity score of your givers, we can start to build some benchmarks around other church ministries, similar size, to show church leaders where they might sit as it relates to a comparison, if you will. Mm. Now, I would caution comparing yourself, you know, Leo, I know you you spent lots of time at a, at a very affluent church in the Fort Worth area. There's not a lot of churches like, like that church, Gateway, right, where mm-hmm. they have that much uh, blessing from their givers, you know, a lot of giving, right? So yeah. I caution people against uh, benchmarking themselves against other churches. But at the end of the day, it becomes kind of a statistic to say, yeah, we are either leading the pack or we're lagging the pack. What should we be doing? Right. And so that's really the heart behind that. So mm-hmm. lots of good stuff in the software that can help you understand that. But then what are we going to do with the, the strategy component? And that really is the heart behind where I say it's a ministry. So yes, we're a vendor, we're a software vendor, but we're also a partner as it relates to how we want to work with you, the church, to move the needle in this area of giving. And so that's kind of the the, the two pieces where I think Mortarstone can really um, help CSN, their uh, members, their uh, the people in the stewardship ministry. You know, we really gravitate towards it through, like I said, a managed by fact um, strategy, but then the other piece of that is we are really rooted in the discipleship pieces of how to grow generous disciples. Yeah, that's so good because this is why we're partners. Is that you're not just selling a software; you're you're focused on what we're focused on, which is discipleship. Um, but but again, data and everything that you guys provide is helping to measure that to see how are we doing, right? If yeah. a church is not looking at that then they have no idea whether people are being generous, if they're not, if they're being discipled in that area, if they're actually growing in their giving. So it's an important aspect of our life. It's not that we're always focused on money, but money does tell a story. It's not the only thing, but it's an important one. All right, David, so what is the bucket you speak of? I mean, I have a a phone with a digital wallet, a physical wallet. I have debt credit cards, but I don't carry them in a bucket. Yeah. I like to say there's two buckets where we put our financial resources, for lack of a better word. And so there's the one bucket that we would say is cash. And that's kind of where we would have our you know monthly obligations. It's where we deposit our paychecks, that sort of thing. And then there's another bucket, which is where we have what I would say is non-cash assets. That might be our stock or investments. It might be our real estate holdings, our, our house that we reside in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an asset. Unlike cash, it's not liquid, but it's very much an asset. Mm-hmm. And so there's two buckets that I really want people to start to think through. There's the cash bucket, which is where we keep leaning into givers to give a portion of their income from, the tithe, if you will. But then there's this other bucket where people's wealth is. So this concept of how do we get people to look at their entire balance sheet as it relates to their generosity is really, really important to me. In other words, 
I really think the church needs to broaden its teaching to not just teach the tithe or a percentage of income as, as a way to start giving, but how do we start to unlock generosity? And, and that has to be done by where people's assets are held. So that's the two bucket concept. It's cash, but it's also non-cash assets. And so when you think about what does that look like, probably in my, for instance, in my life, I probably have less than two, three, four percent of my wealth in cash. I, mm-hmm. I just don't have a lot. Yet that's the appeal that churches make every Sunday right. for us to give from our quote unquote income. And Leo, you know this better than most. The church is not full of tithers. There's a small percentage of people that might tithe, but the vast majority of them don't. Yet that's the appeal we keep making, you know, on, on a weekend service. And so how do we then start to teach people that, hey, when you are doing your giving or you're or living generously, how do we start to live generously with the big bucket of assets that we manage for him? That is really where I think the greatest opportunity for the church to not only disciple their people, but then unlock generosity by teaching people some of our, you know, peers, our para ministries, our non-faith nonprofits. Why are they going after these major gifts? They're getting them, yet the church is not. And, and that I struggle with that. And as I've been able to research it, I really think the big piece here, that missing piece in so many words, is the church doesn't know how to teach people to give from their wealth. Period. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I, and I agree with you. I think it's a it's a such a huge missed opportunity because when, like you said, if we're just talking about the available cash flow that people have, then that's a very small number. And as we're seeing wealth increase in our country, we we see you know there are more millionaires and billionaires in the world than ever before, and some of those people are faithful, God loving people. And so, what are we doing to help them understand what impact they can have in the mission of the church? And if we're not doing that intentionally, someone else is. Like you said, there's other nonprofits that do that. So I've heard you speak about these three common sources of funding, nonprofits, for annual giving, capital campaigns, and planned giving. So I think we we most of the time understand the first two, but expand a little bit on this, this meaning of planned giving. How What do you mean by that specifically? Yeah, so um, from a, a purist standpoint, a planned gift typically would mean a bequest. And so... Um, I would say that's probably only partially true. Now, is it important to kind of have a plan giving ministry? For sure. But I think we would frame this around a legacy impact ministry. In other words, how can we start to get people to think about their wealth when they're doing their giving? And what does that start to look like? Well, that entry point, make no mistake, is a end of life gift or a bequest. But that usually is the starting point to then start to unlock other gifts strategies or ideas. Mm. That could be an outright gift. It could be a split interest gift. If you do not understand what a split interest gift is, please ping me on an email because it's perhaps one of the most underused strategies within Christendom for funding things when people start to get what we would call financially fatigued. And so uh, a split interest gift is a massive opportunity to teach those with wealth how to give in the most tax advantaged way, mm. whereas it can benefit the church today, you know, currently versus waiting for people to die to get a bequest. So that's really important concept. Um, when you think about 
you know, what I would say, the bequest ministry, when someone starts to include the church in their planning documents, that's a massive psychological win because the people that are in those planning documents, those end of life, um, um, you know, their will or their trust, if you will, that's usually reserved for family. And we already know, statistically speaking, if somebody has planning documents, there's a very small percentage of those people that actually have a charitable component mm-hmm. in the documents. And so we really have to do a better job of using that as an on-ramp to talk about other gift vehicles that can accelerate the current, you know, the current giving or, or, or generosity to the church. Well, I do hope that you're enjoying this conversation and we're going to come right back to it. But I want to take just a minute to introduce you to one of our ministry partners. CSN's ministry would not be possible without the help of our partners, and frankly, we wouldn't want to do it without them. What they offer to churches and church leaders through services, content, and resources that they have is invaluable to building a healthy stewardship ministry and helping their people to become good stewards and generous givers. This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Simple Donation. Simple Donation exists to make people in churches and faith-based organizations happy by creating world-class software. We focus exclusively on churches using Rock RMS and have deep expertise in Rock. We partner with Rock churches to leverage signals that can be used to aid in discipleship. This includes building out custom reports, workflows, and connection requests in Rock. In addition, with Simple Donation, you get uncommon service and a single vendor for all things payments. To learn more about Simple Donation, visit simpledonation.com. So the third leg, you know, when we talk about annual giving, capital campaigns, plan giving, plan giving should round out not only a bequest, but an outright gift of asset, maybe an endowing of various ministry. Uh, Again, not a huge fan of endowments, but I understand their purpose. Um, as well as a life income gift, which might be a split interest of nature. And so it basically becomes down to this is the journey we want for all of our people to start to consider end of life outright and split interest. Yeah, you're you're touching on a subject that's really, really important, because what we're actually asking people is give out of your cash, which is, Mm -hmm. again, just a small percentage of what you actually have. And then there's nothing until the day you die. And then we're expecting them to leave again a small percentage at best five ten percent. Usually, it's the the highest that people leave in an estate plan if they even leave a gift. So it's almost right. like a, it's like you know going from the kiddie pool to the deep end. People aren't going to go from being somewhat generous to extremely generous in one swoop. Whereas what you're talking about is really a development. Again, not using fancy terms, but basically discipling people through a process that if God has given them excessive wealth, more than they'll ever spend, certainly they will leave their families well off. But while they're living, if they could be giving that away and save taxes and do it strategically, something they already have a desire to do, then really it's it's up to the church to look and say, how can we encourage people who already have a charitable mindset and a desire to, to support the church and support the ministry of the kingdom? How do we help them to do that? And it sounds like you guys are way more than a data company here. So so share more about that, because I think it's important for people to understand what you mean by by this uh, yeah. way of giving. Yeah, so I would say um, 
you know, that that third piece of the puzzle, the plan giving piece, um, by the way, for definition purposes, we would define a plan gift as any gift that requires a third party to make. That mm. third party could be a family lawyer. It could be a CPA. It could be a financial advisor. But there's usually a, a third party in that discussion that says this is a this is a low cost basis asset that you don't need, Mr. or Mrs. Jones. Why don't you consider giving it and taking the tax deduction? To the church. That's really what that conversation starts to look like. So plan gift is not spontaneous. Um, it does take some time to nurture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really what that process looks like, and, and I hate to say this, I'm just going to say it anyway, and we've heard it repeated so many times, it's not what we want from you, but for you, right? And so this becomes a function of what do we want for people in this area of their life? And it really boils down to three things. We want you to have a generosity plan. Most people in life have plans from shopping list for dinners to vacations to retirement, but they rarely have a plan with how do I live generous with what I have, um, I'm stewarding, I'm managing, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have to be intentional with helping people think through that generosity plan. Otherwise, they won't live generously. The second piece of that and really this starts to ground it out, is really helping our people think through both security and contentment, which are, again, rooted in discipleship, because no one's going to be generous if they keep elevating their lifestyle. They can't, right? Right. Um, Moreover, they're not going to be generous if they're placing their faith, their trust, for lack of a better word, in money. You know, it's like, oh, I can't give this away. I might need it. You know, that that's kind of what we're taught from a secular perspective, right? And so security, contentment are the, are kind of the 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 next conversation. And then that third piece is the de facto is the heirs get everything. And why is that? And it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. And it isn't if we can have that conversation to say, hey, giving your heirs a ton of money, is that going to help them or hurt them? Mm. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, good, good question. I know. I know if something were to happen to my wife, Melissa and I, and my daughter got uh, a windfall of money at, well, she's 16, but let's assume she got it when she turned 21, that wouldn't help her. (laughs) Can some of it help her? Of course. But my Lord, she needs to carve her own way. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I would even hearken back to a quote Buffett or Bill Gates said, I want to help my kids with enough money they feel empowered to do something, but not so much money that they do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> And that's yeah. really something we should be thinking through as Christian parents who are going to be transferring a massive amount of wealth. Are we really just going to drop a, a ton of money in people's laps and is it going to help them or destroy them? And that's kind of that third question we want our people to kind of wrestle through and think about. Because when they can start to like address those three things, a generosity plan, security and contentment, and how much do they want to enrich their heirs by, then they can start to live generously with what they're managing. And statistically speaking, Leo, people's wealth starts to grow exponentially when they go north of 65 years old, as they are savers. They don't know how to spend it. In fact, case in point, even the IRS says, hey, we're going to make you take a distribution so that this money just doesn't get taxed because we want to tax it now. So even our IRS is tuned into the fact that people's wealth this continues to blow up. It's the, no different than the parable in Luke 12 to the barn builder. It's like, how are we any different? If our balance sheet continues to grow and expand and we're not doing anything to, to deploy it, are we yeah. any better than that? I don't think mm-hmm. we are. 
And I think yeah. that's a needed conversation with a lot of our people in the church. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when, when that story was told, it says that God said, you fool, <laughs> you, yeah. fool. you know, cause you're you're, very you, you built this, all this and you're, you were not generous toward God. And, and that's such a, that, that's why we're so both passionate about this because our desire is not to just have people give for no reason. We want them to understand that it is God's part and plan for them to have an impact with what God entrusts to them, right? God doesn't give us something for no reason. And so in the same way, if if we're helping people to understand and be able to hear God in this area, but then give them the practical ways that they can live that out, then having a generous plan will help them to accomplish the things God wants them to do and not, not entrusted to, to their heirs who may or may not feel the same way. You can leave an endowment, you can leave all kinds of things for your kids to manage, but if they don't have a generous heart, how likely are they not only to not do it, or if they do do it, Will they actually do what you would have wanted? Or will they make decisions based on just, I guess I'll just have to do this. I'll just give it away, but not be a good steward of it. So it's so important that we take charge of it. I tell people when I used to do a lot of counseling, as you have done as a money ad coach, we were both that back in the 2000s. And we used to meet with people and help them to understand that they had a responsibility. And sometimes they they just wanted to abdicate that responsibility. You you do it. You tell me how to do it. Or you tell me how how to manage it. I would say, look, I am not in charge of your money. When you stand before God, you can't say, well, Leo told me to do. No, it's not going to work. You are responsible for it. From now until the day you pass away, you will be in charge of every dollar God's put in your hands. And so we have a personal responsibility. But as church leaders and as ministry leaders, we need to share the knowledge and the tools that we have with people so that they can easily use those to accomplish what God has given them to do. Uh, now, I know, David, as we're you know kind of wrapping up, I, I want to mention that we are going to do a webinar together here shortly on October 4th. And so if you're listening to this and it's not October 4th yet, then please come join us because David's going to teach quite a bit on this. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a of an overview or, or a peek of what will you talk about and what will people learn as they tune in? Yeah, I, and I'm super excited about this webinar because it will be one of the first ones that we've done on this topic. And so... Mm-hmm we're kind of moving past that data discussion and really starting to want to exercise some of our thought leadership around this, this piece of the ministry. But for most churches, we think there's a missing ministry. And I know this because it's evident in the data. Mm-hmm. In other words, this is not an opinion that I, oh, no, we need to do this. No, this is this is actually grounded in fact. And when I say that, it's grounded in fact, because we can look at over a million 990s from non-faith nonprofits and start to glean how they are funded and then start to see the parallels to our side of the fence, the church side of the fence. And so unequivocally, there's a missing ministry. And so I'm going to say something now that might sound a bit off-putting and it's not intended to be, but if I were to ask you, Leo, tell me about some of the ministries in the church that you belong to, you know, top of mind, what would they be? You know, youth ministry, young adults, recovery ministry, the ministry of worship and arts. That's usually when I pose that question to people, that's usually what they say, right? Unequivocally, those are the ministries, right? And so Mm -hmm. there's probably another dozen or so that we could list. But the one ministry that I think is missing is the ministry to the wealthy. And I think when I said it that way, if I were to say, hey, I'm a pastor to the youth or to young adults, 
no one would find fault with that. But if mm-hmm. someone would say, David, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor to the wealthy. They'd probably look at me. They'd probably cough. They'd probably say, what, what does that even mean? And how is that even biblical, right? But yet I can clearly point to the biblical teaching in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, whereas Paul is teaching Timothy, there is a distinct ministry to the wealthy that you need to be aware of and, and state, you know, get in tune to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not so that those people can give more to the church. It's rather pointed towards how can these people be enjoying their wealth that God's entrusted to them, right? So we're really going to do a deep dive in those verses on that webinar to say, okay, what does it look like to start to build a ministry to the wealthy? And if I could just round this out a little bit, because I know it's kind of um, harsh, if you will. I mean, pastor to the wealthy. It's like, I hope no one puts that on their business card, right? (laughs) Um, But if I could round that out, I would just say there is a missing ministry to those who have abundance. They have managed well. They've controlled their spending. They've figured out how to manage well. Uh, They've controlled, you know, elevating their lifestyle. So as a consequence, they have more than they need. And and that would be really be the definition for this ministry is how do we help people who have an abundance to live and give generously with what they steward for him? And that's really the basis behind this webinar. Yeah, I love it because you said something that uh, I want people. I want to make sure people understand it. I understand what you mean by it, but if I don't do a good job of explaining it, then please help me. But you said that you want to help these people enjoy their wealth. Is that what you said? Yeah, in that scripture, there's there's specific strategies that Paul is teaching to of how do we help people enjoy their wealth. Right. And 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 here's here's the kind of um, fast forward to the end game. Um, the, the the topic, it doesn't mean give to the church. Mm-hmm. And that should be very freeing for us as stewardship or generosity leaders to say, oh, you mean, you mean I don't have to go out and make an appeal? You know, right. I don't have to, quote, be a fundraiser? Of course right. not. This is really just a biblical teaching of how people should be enjoying their wealth. In other words, you don't ever have to ask people for money. You just have to have to ask people to do things that cost money, because mm-hmm. that's really what Jesus taught. Go do, go enrich people, right? <laughs> go do something with your money to help people. And that's yeah. really the, the framework that, that we help church leaders think through to say, okay, if I do a good job, and this is kind of important here, if I do a good job, why wouldn't they deploy those resources through your church? Right? Right, right. Go to the university. You know, I was talking with a church partner we have in on the East Coast, and he contrasted a gift that went to the church versus to um, the hospital. And, and let me let me contrast that for our audience. Two million bucks went to the church, unequivocally a very substantial gift, right? Over 25 million went to the hospital. Wow. Why? <laughs> Why? You know, that should be reversed. <laughs> and if there was the proper components within our churches, it would be reversed. If we had the framework to garner that gift, to structure it, to protect donor intent, and to make sure it didn't blow up the ministry because it was too generous. You know, those are all the things that we need to be thinking through as church leaders to say, why are we getting the pat on the head gift versus the transformative gift? Yeah, And that's what we're going to be talking about on the webinar. Uh, I look forward to that. I think uh, I just love the way you phrase that, though, because I think in the church, we typically try to ignore the wealthy and pastors usually do this for multiple reasons. 
they seem to be successful in that way where pastors have never been trained in finances. So they feel a little bit of odds with, to that relationship. They feel like they don't understand the wealthy and the wealthy don't understand the pastor because the pastor is so spiritual. So there's like that natural barrier that I think can be easily torn down. But the mm -hmm. fact that you said that our job is to help them enjoy their wealth, by that you mean the real joy of wealth is not just the stuff that you know we can buy. It's the stuff that we can do with it that changes lives, that impacts the kingdom of God. And it never, it never loses the investment because it's eternal. And that's that's what we're really giving up on. We're giving up on helping people who God has resourced with extra wealth for the purpose of doing something that God cares about and they care about. And yet we're not helping them to do that. And that's a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in closing, uh, David, thank you so much for everything you've shared so far. I do look forward to the webinar. And again, if you guys are listening, please join us for that webinar on October 4th. But in closing, what would you like to share as a kind of a parting thought? What is this something that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about? I really think there's a, a important distinction in this ministry where some people start to recoil because they think, oh, I don't want to be a fundraiser, right? And I would say, you're not a fundraiser. You are a faith raiser. If, if this is done correctly, you're raising the water level on someone's faith to be able to then start to give generously. Now, mm -hmm. having said that, <laughs> I I do not have any problem with, with fundraising for Jesus or for fundraising for, for God's uh, local church. And this is why if someone, if I had that position or title, I would not shy away from it because I don't think there's a better place to put our resources than the local church. Mm -hmm. I, it's the hope of the world as flawed as it, as it is. And we talked about that on the front end of this webinar. It's like, yeah, there's no perfect church. Of course not. They're, they're led by imperfect people, but it is the hope of the world. It is the chosen vehicle that God ordained to share the love of his son and, and a plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that's very important that that church is resourced well to be there. Um, Malachi 3.10, we usually hear that scripture taught around test me in this. And I would say there is a storehouse principle in that scripture, whereas the church should be viewed as forward thinking enough to start creating a storehouse for a famine. And I, I just want to say that's very important principle in my life is we don't need to, to fund outside public charities. We need to fund and resource the local church, create that storehouse. So that's probably the first thing. Hey, we're not going to talk about fundraising. We're going to talk about faith raising and how that can really work. And then that other topic that I really want to ground is giving from wealth or non-cash assets. How do we help people give in the most tax-advantaged way, developing a pipeline, a major current gifts for the church. And so I wouldn't say we're going to lean heavily into the why, we're going to lean more into the how. In other words, we know why we should be giving. That's fundamental to everything. But the how to give really becomes the constructs to, to how we help church leaders start to build out the what we call the legacy impact ministry, those who have who have managed well, and then how do they start to deploy major gifts of non-cash assets to the church, through the church. And that's really what that uh, October 4th webinar is going to focus on. Well, I look forward to it. I, I think I think many people will benefit from that. Um, thank you so much, David, first for your passion in this area, for the works that you guys have done, not just as a a uh, data analytic company and helping uh, churches with these tools that are so vital to understanding 
and, and putting a strategy together on how to help disciple people in this area. But more importantly, what you guys have started about three years ago, which is this non-cash giving. And and you're right. It's a huge missed opportunity that church really needs to be educated on. So thank you for taking the lead on that. Uh, I look forward to that conversation when we go into that webinar and learning from you. Again, thanks. Thanks for your time. So appreciate you for joining me today on this podcast. Thank you, Leo, for hosting me. And I look forward to seeing you on October 4th. Awesome. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Stewardship Leader. If you enjoyed it and found it valuable, please share it with someone you think would also find it valuable. If you've not yet subscribed to our podcast or left us a review, please do so. This will ensure you're automatically receiving the latest content we produce and will also help others to find this valuable podcast. If you want to know more about CSN and how we can help you and your church create a culture of good stewardship and generosity, go to our website, christianstewardshipnetwork.com. If you want to learn more about David and what they're doing at Motorstone, go to motorstone.com. They have a wealth of content and information to help you understand this area of ministry. And of course, join us for that webinar. Again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time on Stewardship Leader. Mm -hmm.